Okay, I want everybody to take a deep breath in and let it out. Deep breath in. Let it out. Let your hands slowly drift over to the like button. Deep breath in. And let it out as you click the like button. Deep breath in. And let it out as you click the subscribe button. Welcome to Quirks of Creation. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Quirks of Creation. I'm Jess Holmes, and joining me, as always, is Elise. Oh, hey, Elise. Hello. Happy Friday. It's Friday. We're here. We're calm. We're well rested, sort of. No, not at all. Centered and grounded, and all the all the things. <laughs> all of our chakras are aligned, or whatever. That's right. That's yep, right. That's it. <laughs> I'm so glad I couldn't mute my microphone so I wasn't. <laughs> uh, when you were doing your intro, I was like trying to be quiet. I was like, oh, my mic's muted. I don't have to be quiet. So I just started laughing. That was really good. Thanks. <laughs> I, I practiced that one. <laughs> <clears throat> Absolutely. Obviously. Um, but I hope you guys are having a good week. Today, we are diving into a bit of quackery. A bit. Just, just a bit. Just a bit. Um, but before we get started, just want to remind you guys, if you didn't catch it at the top of the show, remember to hit that like and subscribe button. Helps us in the algorithm. Um, <laughs> don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And we will be reading some special reviews at the end of the show. Yay! Give you all the warm fuzzies. I like it. Also, while this little slide is up here in the corner, don't forget to get yourself some Quirk merch. Mm-hmm. We got new Dragon merch. We got new Pyramid merch. So if you want some of our quackier pieces, go get them. Get them. Get them. They're great. Christmas is around the corner, too. That's right. Not that we have to talk about that. African-American Fridays around the corner. I mean, but what's the politically correct thing to call it? I don't know anymore. I don't either. That day on Friday after Thanksgiving where everything goes on sale. Yes. I'm sure we'll have something. I'm so sure. be sure to go to hawkhoundmedia.com slash QOC. That is for Quirks of Creation. And get your goodies. Get your goodies. Get it. Get your uh, stuff on. That's the best yeah. I can come up with. I'm done. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about mental health. Just kind of picking up. Where we left off last time, basically, last time we talked about a science thing. So (laughs) I don't know about you, but I have noticed just like everywhere that I go, I see flyers like this. Relax, recharge, reconnect. Like just these flyers that encourage you to practice mindfulness, wellness, like this whole movement has 
taken over society. I feel like it literally is everywhere. I've seen it at every school I've ever taught at. I've seen it at every job I've ever had is like part of the HR push for wellness. And it's, it's literally all over social media. Like if you get on TikTok for more than five seconds, which I have a couple of TikToks for us. Oh yeah. Because why not? Let's listen to this guy. Hi, do me a favor and take a deep breath in. This sounds familiar. Let it all settle. You did it better. Thank you. And then take your hand and place it on your heart. Oh, put it on my heart. And start to connect with a sense of gratitude. Just bringing to mind something or someone who you are incredibly grateful for today. As you bring that to mind, start to become aware of how it affects your body. Maybe there's a, a softening of the shoulders. Maybe your whole body starts to sink. Maybe your breathing gets a little easier. Just hold on to that space of gratitude and then start to direct it inward, starting to bring to mind something that you did for yourself that you're grateful for, even if it was just getting out of bed this morning. I'm so grateful I got out of bed this morning. Go Let me. That wash over your body. I'm so awesome. Take another deep breath. I in. did it. I did it. And breathe out. Hold on to that gratitude today, and I will see you tomorrow. And and so, like, this stuff is just everywhere. Right. I just, I can't, I, I'm so uh, sorry. It makes me cringe so hard. I don't know if that's, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm just like, <laughs> It's even. hard because it feels kind of hokey. Do right. you, re- well... Neither of us were alive in the 70s. So (laughs) do you remember your history books when um, they had like these? Well, I feel like this was true when I was young, too. These youth pastors who were like trying to be really hip and cool and in the know. And they like rode on skateboards and they were like, Jesus is your bro, man. Yeah. And it's like it feels hokey in that sort of sense where it's like they're trying really hard to connect to you, but it feels very farcical. Right. Very forced. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's weird. But I I do understand why it's trendy because people are just objectively miserable. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. We talked about um <clears throat> on a very recent episode about depression on our Over Medication of America episode and just to like remind everybody in case you didn't hear the episode, here are just some like mental health statistics. 40 million Americans suffer from anxiety, 20% of all teens suffer from depression before they ever reach adulthood. Rates of suicide have increased by 24% since 2012. Remember that's approximately 40,000 people to 49,000 people per year who take their own lives. I mean, there is just an objective mental health epidemic in our nation and people are, are grasping at straws. And right. we, in that episode, we talked about how chemical imbalance theory just doesn't hold up anymore. The biggest study that's come out in recent years was an across the board review study looking at just thousands and thousands of papers um, by Simon Young from McGill University. And in his statement, 
he says that the main areas of serotonin research provide no consistent evidence of there being an association between serotonin levels and depression and no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lower serotonin activity or concentrations. So the medicines people are putting in their bodies aren't helping them. There has to be something else. Right. And so people are starting to reach out to alternative types of medicine. And one of these alternative types is, as you saw, this idea of mindfulness. Right. <clears throat> and I'm sure you've heard of mindfulness before because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Mindfulness. Yes. And I, um, I think part of it, too, is just like we're getting to a point where we don't trust doctors the way we used to. Yeah. Because we have so much more information at the tips of our fingers and we see like, oh, well, all these things I was told that were good for me have come to life that they aren't. So you're looking for alternative ways. And I think that's part of it too, is yeah. like this alternative. I don't have to trust anybody else if I can do it myself. Right. I think that's a, a big factor with this whole mindfulness movement as well. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right because especially with the advent of the internet, people are web, Dr. WebMDing the heck out of themselves. And I get it because now we do have information right there in front of us. And when the doctor says something that's counterintuitive to our own understanding, to what we've looked up for ourselves, to what we've researched. I mean, we saw that very clearly with the COVID pandemic, right? Yeah. We saw how what was coming out of the mouths of quote unquote experts was not aligning with reality. And so people feel lost, mm -hmm. rightfully so. Absolutely rightfully so. And yeah, I think you panic and you start to, what, how can I, I can't trust anybody. So all I have is me and what right. I, yeah, what I feel comfortable with maybe. Right. Just a bunch of a bunch of factors, but so many factors. And what's crazy is that mindfulness feels new, but the actual movement started a long time ago. So for those of you who are listening and you're like, somehow I've never heard of mindfulness. I've lived with my head in the sand. <laughs> Blessed be you who have never heard of this thing because I feel like it's being shoved down my throat uh everywhere I go. Literally everywhere, but just like straight up Oxford Dictionary, mindfulness is a mental state achieved by concentrating on the present moment while calmly accepting the feelings and thoughts that come to you, used as a technique to help you relax. It's basically a way for the mind and body to reestablish its connection, and this practice finds its root in some Buddhism. Right. Which is like insane. I, I mean, I'm going to get into all of it, but just the fact that this clearly very, it, this thing has very spiritual roots and it's just, it's everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, I think even our chat is catching on to this right now. Like, right. I'm not going to spoil anything. We but, have the best chat. They always know where it's going. Yeah. You guys know what's up, but yeah, just uh, keep listening is all I have to say. It's like, I, you're, you're I, I see right you guys. You I see know. you. Yeah. But keep listening because I think that this is what we, what Jess is bringing to the table here is something that's just so um, 
it's all rooted in the spiritual world here. And this is such a slippery slope when yeah. you don't have Christ at the center. So yeah. just keep put put a pin in that thought. Hold keep it. Listening. Keep listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you're right. Uh, when I think of it on the surface. I think of it as a meditative type of prayer. I'm letting go of things of this world, giving everything up to God. So again, I find it kind of interesting that it traces its lineage back to Zen Buddhism, but but let's let's follow the rabbit hole. Let's let's yes. see where the white rabbit will take us. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> think about just the movement of how Zen Buddhism came here. In the 1840s, the California gold rush sparked mass immigration from many, many countries to America, including immigration from China. And with the major influx of Chinese immigrants came all of their cultural practices they brought with them, including their religious practices. I'm shocked. <laughs> right. Shook it. It's like if you don't encourage people to become culturally a part of your society, they bring their culture to you. Weird. Weird. <laughs> uh, but the trend itself basically took off in the 1950s and 1960s because that's when Buddhism really became like culturally popular with the free love movement, with the hippie and the counterculture movements. You could kind of see how the Japanese and Buddhism would start to gain a little bit of traction in those circles. Yep. And part of it, I understand, because at this time, you've got a society, especially in America, that's very war-weary. You had World War II, then the subsequent Korean and Vietnam Wars. So it's like people have been watching their fathers go away to fight in war, die, or come back with PTSD. I mean, today is Veterans Day. And so just like remembering that sacrifice that they gave, but also remembering maybe we should protect the things that we have here in America. And it it's hard when you have no father figure to look up to. Yeah. And so you could see how the youth of that time may be looking somewhere for right. an alternative standard. Because at the same time, and this is the thing that gets me, I can kind of see why they were not filling that vacancy with God because God was being used as propaganda. I mean, if you guys can see the images here, these are just some old propaganda pieces from the 1950s and 60s. You can see American flags playing a big part of the propaganda at the time. It's saying onward for God and my country. Like I get, I get the motivation. I I totally get it. But at the same time, for a society that was very war-weary, I also see why perhaps they decided, well, if this is why my dad's not here, maybe I don't like that thing. Right. And if that's what God stands for, then maybe that's not what I, you know. Right. Things like that. Absolutely. And a bit lost. A very lost generation. Uh, And (laughs) so many things are happening in this time period, because at the same time, you have this compounding burgeoning of science and i mean i I could spend a whole episode talking about the amazing scientific discoveries that happened in this time yay because it was truly the scientific age i'll save that for another episode perhaps yes but when we talked about excuse me quantum theory way back when this is when a lot of these discoveries were being made scientists were breaking down walls and so slowly, they were trying to replace God with science yeah, at this absolutely. point in time. I mean, 
from their perspective, right? If we could explain it with science, who needs God? Mm-hmm. Right. They juxtapose. They were not synonymous. Like if there right. was science, then there was no God. So, right. Yeah. For for some reason, which yeah. I don't understand, because for this complex system of scientific principles just magically happened without a divine and designing creator, for sure. Obviously. 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 (laughs) The thing is, uh, obviously that's not true. Because society built on atheism always crumbles. People have a God-shaped hole in their heart and they have to fill it with something. Yes. Because we are spiritual beings. So built into all of this in the backdrop, you get the infiltration of Zen Buddhism into all of these movements. So in a time and an age where people were taking every opportunity to reject God, they started filling it with Zen Buddhism or some form of it. And this is where my guy, who we're going to talk about a lot tonight, John Cabot Zen comes in. This guy is fascinating mm. and in no good ways. Right. Insert evil <laughs> maniacal laugh or something. Right. <laughs> If you guys have never heard of him or never seen him, this is him. Now, I guess I couldn't find a picture of him when he was younger. I also didn't really try. So there's that. Um, But this guy's interesting. So let me do a little biography for you just to set the stage. Uh, He was the son of a biomedical scientist and a painter. So already you can see how such an upbringing would lead him to be like highly introspective, like a nerd and a creative. It's like, that's, that's two (laughs) very different things uh, there. Like those don't often go hand in hand. Right. Fascinating. Yes. Like I said, this guy's fascinating. And we just started. Okay, so he graduates from Harvard in 1964 and went on to get a PhD in molecular biology from MIT in 1971. Dude's crazy smart. And he studied under Salvador Luria, a Nobel laureate in medicine. So, again, crazy smart. (laughs) Yes. At the same time, He's a raging activist because he was the leading campaigner against military research at the university and against the Vietnam War. Uh, To reduce student protests, MIT appointed him alongside Noam Chomsky to an advisory panel on the future at the university's military labs. So he was against, what did you just say? Uh, Against the Vietnam War. Right. But he right. was um, studying it. He was against studying it. What was that you said? Sorry. Um, there was uh, military research going on at the universities. Like at most universities, they have scientific research going on. And oftentimes they're funded by different government agencies. I know when I was in graduate school, we got our funding from some of the projects from the Department of Defense. Hmm. Yeah, so it all depends on like what you're researching and yeah, things like that. How your outcome's gonna be, <laughs> right? <laughs> what the goals are? Yeah, he was against the Vietnam War. That's so uh, unexpected. So unexpected. So unexpected. Just kidding. From an intellectual, that's so unexpected at that time. From, from a very extreme intellectual. Yeah. Who f- finds a colleague in Noam Chomsky? Noam like, Chomsky. Insane. Right, right. 
What did we expect here? I don't know. <laughs> During this time, he began to ponder life's purpose, which he called his karmic assignment. So mm-hmm. this dude's already in it. Right. Right. Up to his elbows in it. Right. And so he was first introduced to uh, Buddhistic meditation by Philip Kaplow, a Zen missionary. I didn't know Zen Buddhists had missionaries. I didn't know uh, he came to speak at MIT and then began to study under, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, uh, Sung San Heng Wan, who was a prolific Seosanist monk at the time. Basically, he stunder, studied under this very prolific monk. Hmm. Um, and so he was like really, really deep in the weeds as far as Zen Buddhism goes. Like this is what he was building his life on. And of course... Because what we practice in our private lives bleeds into every aspect of our real lives, he brought it to his work. And so he brought it to his understanding of treating medicine. And so by the 1980s, he was named the head of the chronic pain clinic at UMass. And here he was investigating alternative treatments for people who suffered from chronic pain. Gotcha. Which, all things being equal... I can appreciate that he's coming from a position of not medicating someone. Absolutely. And especially at this time in the eighties, when there aren't like just widely available medicines for people to take outside opiates. He, he doesn't want to drug his patients up, or at least that's how it seems on the surface. And so like personally, as someone who suffers from chronic migraines and chronic back pain, like I I can appreciate where he was coming from. Yeah. Trying to find something else. Absolutely. And in his first paper that he put out uh, titled uh, The Stress Reduction and Relaxation Practices, this is the first time we get a glimpse at mindfulness. He says the whole research uh, was functioned as a net to catch patients who tend to fall through the cracks in healthcare delivery system, neither improving in their primary medical condition over time, nor feeling satisfied with the results of the traditional medical arrangement of their problems. The SR and RP, the stress reduction and relaxation practices, is based on the systematic development of the internal resources of the patient. Many chronic pain patients ultimately receive the verdict that you're just going to have to live with this and so the sr and rp helps patients teach themselves the how of living with chronic pain so just like this setup i actually really do have a deep appreciation for yeah absolutely yeah so it could have gone in a really good it could go in a really good direction it it honestly really could have it if it didn't have this backdrop of dark spiritualistic practices it, it could have been a really good endeavor, like genuinely morally good. He was trying to do something for these people who fall through the cracks. Right. And I mean, we were talking earlier about how we don't trust doctors. Well, doctors don't trust patients. That's true, too. <laughs> everybody's a liar. <laughs> Literally, everybody's a liar. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's I love that mindset of like, how can we help our how can we help our patients? How can we help? people without just drugging them up right let's expand this let's look further more into this but it's uh, opens the floodgates for a whole bunch of alternatives (laughs) so many alternatives so uh, i can at least appreciate what he was trying to do and he was 
actually very successful. He enlisted 51 chronic pain patients who had not improved with traditional medical care. And after 10 weeks of the mindful meditative practices, he found that 65% of patients showed a reduction of more than 33% of their mean total pain rating index, basically how they reported feeling their own pain. Mm-hmm. And 50% showed a reduction of more than 50% of their pain. I mean, that is, that's That's insane. That's huge. That's awesome. I I mean, crazy. Yeah. Wonderful (laughs) for them. (laughs) Yes. Like actually crazy, wonderful that they could actually fit report, right? The hard thing about these psychological studies is you always have to take them with a grain of salt because people do in fact lie. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So self-reporting is hard. Yes. Because you do have to take people at the, their word. But if we're going to take people at their word, this is really good. That's what they, yeah, absolutely. Good news, bears. Yes. <laughs> so, the, and this is when people, just like scientists across the globe, are trying to destroy anything tangentially spiritual. And here is this scientist using a very spiritualistic practice to reduce people's pain, to show the deep association between a person's inner life and the way they process pain. Like that, that in and of itself is also huge. Yes, absolutely. And I think because it was not from a Christian perspective, Mm -hmm. the prejudice there, there's less of a prejudice. So it's maybe even easier to accept like, well, not these crazy Christians saying it. It's right. They're not saying Jesus in their research right. articles. It, and here's the thing. Credit where credit is due. Kabat Zen worked really hard yeah. to separate the practice of mindfulness from its Zen Buddhist roots. That's why he actually returned it mindfulness. He didn't include any chanting in the meditation. He, I mean, he really tried hard to separate it from its religious practice. It was mostly a breathing technique and a thinking technique to hmm. try and get the person outside of themselves. Gotcha. And that was going to be my question. So, right. To focus on their breathing, and if they were thinking of anything, it wasn't a mantra or a... Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, just to, like, even quote him himself, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) he had been... Even though he had been trained as a Buddhist and espoused its principles, he rejected the label of Buddhist, preferring to apply mindfulness within a scientific frame rather than a religious frame. Which, again, is kind of crazy because the, the roots go so deep. But I, I appreciate that he at least made the attempt, right? I guess. And I think it's funny that, well, I mean, I guess in a secular world, yes, that it's very right. necessary to separate these things because the spiritual is not real. It, not from their perspective. Anyway. Right, exactly. Right. So it's. <clears throat> you know, you have this kooky woohoo thing over here. We need to it. make kooky it woohoo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> more great words. And then you have uh, the the scientific, the the uh, tangible. Right. You have to separate the two, and so I guess props to him for doing that. But also, like, nice try. 
And this, that's the thing is like, it didn't really last very long either because it, it still has all the trappings of the spiritualistic practice while pretending the spirits aren't in the room. It's like saying, I'm going to use a Ouija board and say, we're just goofing around, guys. It's just a game. It's just a game. Like, Yeah, it's just a game. I can do yoga. The salute to the sun is just a pose. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what, that's what gets me is like, okay, yoga for a hot Mm -hmm. second. Do it. Stretching is good for your body. There's no doubt. Stretching is great and um, exercise is great. And the thing is when you start adding that to like, it's a sun salutation and this pose and that pose and you start the breathing and the mantras, all of that, then it is a ritual. It's not an exercise. You're not stretching your body. It is a ritual. And that's the slippery slope that all of this kind of, all this new agey stuff slips into. And I know we'll get into this more, but just my little tangent on. Yeah, I love it. Because you're right. It is that. And they try, they try so hard to separate it. They say, one can be mindful, but not spiritual. We're just paying attention to the world non judgmentally, just being in the present moment. And it's Mm -hmm. like on the surface, I get what you're trying to say. But again, we're spiritual beings. Like we're not just matter. Right. That you cannot separate the two because it's inseparable from us. Right. It is, we are one and the same. And it reminds me a lot of that episode we had on, um, uh, oh gosh. Yep. That one. That one. That one. Where we were talking about our mind and the soul and. Oh the yeah. The consciousness. Consciousness. Episode. At least why words. I don't, words, I don't yeah, sometimes, not tonight. <laughs> I don't know why words are so hard today. Words are always hard. Oh my goodness. But it reminds me of that episode in that if mindfully you are sitting there, you have your body, you're feeling, you're letting the thoughts come and you're letting them go and you feel your body and all these things. So you're aware of yourself physically, but yet where are the thoughts coming from? Right. What is that innerness that you are connecting to? It's all... It's so intertwined and pulling it apart doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. I son just asked, does she take the focus gel stuff too? I do, but I didn't tonight. (laughs) Obviously, obviously. I love that stuff and I forgot to take it. Elise forgot to take her gel meds. Here's an example, guys. (laughs) Don't end up like me. Take Take the Take gel, gel bits. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> please continue, I Jess. <laughs> I, I mean, you're right because to me, all of it is still a ritualistic practice. If I do X, I get Y. That's yes. what a ritual is. We act like it's a chemical equation or a math thing, but at the very beginning, if I sacrifice the goat, then I get prosperity if i sacrifice my child heaven forbid then i get prosperity all of it is if i do x then i get y so no matter what they tried to do 
it was never going to be able to separate itself from its religious roots. And in fact, its religious roots is what makes it so successful. Yes. Yes. In either way, either way. Right. Whether you're doing it from a purely selfish perspective, self selfish inward, only thinking about yourself, or you're doing it uh, in a way that we'll talk about again in a minute, but it is beneficial. It's just what, what's the cost? Yeah. As part of it too. It's a thing people really have to sit down and assess for themselves, because if you don't think about the things you're doing with your body, the things you're putting into your body, it's, I mean, we could, we could talk about this all day about the connection. It's, Again, I find it so fascinating. So yeah. uh, let's talk about the 21st century because that's how that's the kernel of how it started. And we've seen how it's just grown and exploded just like all over the place, um, like a crazy mountain. And now we're here. I could have spent 500,000 years, I swear, <laughs> reading research articles about mindfulness. I'm I mean, sure. Far and away, it is one of the most hot topics in psychology today. And so I'm just going to tell you about a few different ones. I'll uh, try and put the links in Discord. I need to get better about sharing the articles I find with you guys. But this first one I'm sharing comes from Elizabeth A. Hodge from the Department of Psychiatry at Georgetown University Medical Center. This article was very interesting. She compared using mindfulness strategies to alleviate anxiety as compared to a common anti-anxiety drug. I'm going to mess up the name. Escitalopram. Sounds Any guesses? good to me. Okay, great. Uh, basically, she compared using a drug to actually doing mindfulness. Mm. Again, <clears throat> commendation using something else besides putting drugs into your body. I'm all for that. Any opportunity we can use natural remedies as opposed to just doping ourselves up with chemicals. I can appreciate. I know someone will clap back and say, everything is chemicals. Yes. Talking about (laughs) chemicals synthesized in a lab, not chemicals synthesized by God and nature. Um, says the chemistry teacher that's the chemistry teacher i think i know a little bit about chemicals just (laughs) fyi um but this study was very interesting because she found that the effectiveness of mindfulness meditation was non-inferior to taking the drug that basically means it was about as good as yeah it was not worse it's not better but it was at least as good as right which is insane. Which is absolutely insane. No <laughs> side effects like you might get That's with the drug. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I get side effects with this drug I take, if I get infertility, if I get, uh, if, if I stop having sexual impulses, if I get like crazy, like it starts making me emotional or non-emotional, it blunts my emotions, it makes me feel like I'm separated from the world. Instead of feeling those things... I can just meditate for a little while. Now, of course, there's a flip side to that spiritually, but at least on the surface, physically, you can treat the symptoms by doing this practice, which, again, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then this one I found very interesting because it's connecting mindfulness to VR, which, boy, you talk about a 2023 problem. (laughs) Wow. Right. 
all, all of these articles that I'm sharing, by the way, were published in 2023. So this is the most recent research in the field that is being put out that I'm sharing with you guys, um, just to make sure we're totally on top of what's out there. And right. I could open a whole nother can of worms about VR. I'm not going to at this time. Again, a topic for later. Uh, <laughs> And this one is a systematic review, which means it doesn't look at just one study that looked at mindfulness in VR. It looked at dozens and dozens of studies across the board. Uh, and so they found that, as with all mindfulness training, it requires people to be aware of their surroundings and completely focus their attention to succeed. But people who did that found that VR helped them reduce the number of distractions around them and helped them focus better further increase their feelings of calmness and positivity so they could actually engage in the mindfulness practices. And this makes sense, right? Be that's why we have all of these videos like the TikTok where the guy is being really kooky or you have apps like Calm and Hallow. Uh, you have like the ASMR videos, like all of these assists to help you through a guided meditation. Absolutely. Uh, and it just... But does it seem contradictory that it's virtual reality? <laughs> Thank you. That was the <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's like, uh, isn't the point of mindfulness to connect you to reality? And so you're going to use virtual reality? To yes. Connect you to, to connect. Reality? Question mark. Goes full circle or some such something. Yep. That just seems so – maybe I'm super old school too because I haven't really even done anything with – I got sick trying to do like a virtual reality roller coaster once and that's my oh, only man. experience. <laughs> so I don't this, know. But Yeah. I can't do the virtual reality stuff. It's too – it's too crazy for me. Yeah. Because I like it makes me motion sick. It makes yeah. me feel weird. I, I just, I can't, I can't with that. But apparently, can up your mindfulness game. Yeah. So if that's what you're into, good Great. for you. Um, here's another one. This one, uh, this one got me because I, I just like, I, I can't even put into words how much it got me because the psychologist understood this to be such a thoroughly spiritual practice that they decided to evaluate how much a person believed in what they were doing as to how effective it was. Okay. Okay. Which so makes... the yeah. The more you believe in th this, uh -huh. the more effective I'm assuming. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I'm shocked. First shocked. of all, shocked. the more I believe that something is spiritually true the more benefits I'm going to see from it. Right. Weird. And the scientists are all here like, whoa, no way, man. Yeah. Well, and they don't just throw it out because it's, I don't know. It just seems so anti-science as far as. Doesn't it feel so anti, it feels anti-science. It feels so contrary to what they themselves espouse. Right. Exactly. But nope. But nope. 
So just to like break down this study for you. So participants' <clears throat> key beliefs were thematically analyzed in three transformation themes, interpersonal relationships and compassion, peace and violence, and the inner world. The inner world themes I found fascinating because they actually included some samples of interviews between the author of the paper and some of the patient's who they gave fake names to kind of disguise their identity. I'll just read you the back and forth between the author and this patient they call Basil. The author says, what is the goal of meditation for you? And Basil says, emptying the mind and not having any thoughts going through my head. The author says, what is the goal of not having any thoughts? Basil says, being able to listen to that inner voice that speaks to me. Interesting. An inner voice that speaks. This is me saying very interesting, Basil, that you would say that I'm meditating to listen to an inner voice. Sounds like prayer. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you're trying to shut everything out so you can hear the voice of God trying to speak to you. Right. And then the author says, what is this voice? How is this voice constructed? Is it something that is a part of our human nature or is it something that is influenced by our environment and the ideas we absorb from society or both? So you can see the author's really trying to direct the patient's answer because if the author had just stopped at what is this voice, I feel like the patient could have answered more genuinely. Yes. But he's trying to evoke a more scientific answer from the patient. Which is a very manipulative way of questioning. If you're doing real science, you're just looking for the facts as the patient would report them. Right. He's trying to evoke a specific response from them. And he gets what he wants. Basil says, I think that the first thing is what definitely speaks to me. In other words, it's something that we're all born with. Then what gets poured into us, what we're socialized with, that's the influence of society and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. uh, Basically, he got Basil to say, well, it's just my thoughts that are speaking to me. But that's not what Basil meant at the top because he called it an inner voice. Yeah. An inner voice that you have to be really quiet and still to hear. Like the Bible says, be still and know. Weird. Weird. It's like we've known this for a very long time. Almost like we have. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. And on top of it, just just to add more flavor to this, there is another paper that looked at the brain waves of masters of mindfulness who are said to inhabit an altered state of consciousness to see if they can actually detect it on an encephalogram. Awesome. We talked about brain waves in our ASMR episode. If you don't remember all the different types of waves, you can go back and check that out. Um, but just... For our seasoned listeners, in this article, just in their abstract, the researchers styled this investigation as using electroencephalography combined with a neurophenomenological approach to examine the neurological signature of cessation events, which is the dramatic experience of the complete discontinuation of awareness, similar to the loss of consciousness, like you're going to sleep. And so, supposedly, in this meditative state, they're not going to sleep. They're just losing consciousness. And it actually bears out in the brainwave data. For those of you who are watching, you can see the picture of the EEG here. And if you notice, on the right-hand side, you can see the signal for brainwaves. The control is the blue line, which is clearly higher brainwaves. And the red line is the cessation when they have that altered state of consciousness. And it's very low. Very low. 
Their brain waves are very, very low after they've reached this altered state of consciousness. Wow. And again, these are the masters, right? The people you consider to be expert in their craft. And again, the authors in this paper say that these are the ones who truly believe in what they're doing and connect it back to its spiritual roots. Gosh, yeah. Uh, yes. Belief is a powerful thing, obviously. Yep. And so if nothing else, like what you choose to believe, obviously very powerful, very much a big part of who you are. Our brainwaves are just showing it here <laughs> or theirs. Right. Basically. And uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Here's the last study I'll share for the night. Um, and this study shows the correlation between mindfulness practices and the lengthening of chromosomal telomeres. For those of you who don't remember our very first episode when we talked about proteins and DNA, telomeres are the ends of the chromosome caps. Uh, that was one of the proofs we went through to show that we did not uh, evolve from apes, but it also is linked to aging, physical maladies, and things like that. So people who engage in mindfulness practices can alter their own chromosomes. Wow. They have power over their own bodies with with their minds and not to again not to put too fine a point on it this was published in the world's foremost scientific journal nature i mean to get published in nature is like winning the oscar in science wow so the fact that nature sees this as like top tier scientific research legitimate scientific evidence yeah is just baffling that's good <clears throat> It shows how far science has come in a way right? to even look at this. But at the same time, I think it's just so, f I think it's also um, so ironic. <laughs> it is so incredibly ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Not to point out the obvious here, but like if we were to say there's power in prayer, Nature would probably be like, you know, in praying Get to Get out Christ. of here, right. Yeah, exactly. So by simply but. thinking, by meditating, I can change the nature of my chromosomes. That's science. But me praying and say, and asking God to heal someone, that's cookie mama jumbo. Right. Right. Miracles like that. Miracles are kooky mumbo jumbo, unless you thought about it really hard and manifested your own energy and used crystals and yeah. That's science. That's sure. science. For sure. I Guys, it's spiritual no matter how you dice it. Either you believe the Buddhist or Hinduistic claim that you can tap into the energy of the universe to change your own body, or you believe your mind has the power over your own physical body, making you a god yourself. That's a good way to put it. And I didn't think uh, that's a really good way to put it. You're in control and you have the power to do it all on your own. Right. <laughs> because, and how, how wonderful is that in today's day and age? Like how readily acceptable is that? Like me, it's all me. And I got this that I don't need anything, anybody else, any higher power. It's me. It's all about me. I got this. It is. And so I'm sure you guys are sitting there going like, 
okay, so what? What is what does this even mean? So try as you might, or as try as these researchers might, mindfulness cannot be separated from its spiritual roots, which is why this method of self-help, so to speak, is so, so connected to the new age spiritualistic and ritualistic practices like yoga, like Reiki, like all of these meditative things that connect you to this other world of energy. This other world. (laughs) It's like the spiritual world is up against this. You know, the, The Bible says not to mess with these things, not because they're not real, but because they are and they invite demons. If you don't know what you're dealing with and if you don't understand the implications, the ramifications, the consequences of these actions, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Right. (sighs) Yeah. Um, I like what uh, Vindog says. uh, Self-help leads to mysticism. Yes. It does. Mysticism. And that's not an accident. Right. Uh, the most interesting thing to me is the Reiki thing. I don't know. It, have you heard of Reiki before? Mm-hmm. Okay. So for our audience who hasn't heard of Reiki, Reiki is this connection um, to, uh, again, the spiritual world. It's this uh, energy healing technique that claims to promote relaxation and stress reduction and anxiety reduction through de- gentle touch. Basically, it's like massage, except they like hold their hands over you and they say, I'm aligning your chakras or like whatever that means. Cleaning the energy around you. and Yeah. Mm-hmm, all these. And they use things. crystals and words like source and universe. And it's like all, all of these new age words. All of these more acceptable terms. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And again, this the Reiki practice was developed in the early 1900s by a Japanese Buddhist monk. The word is derived from the Japanese words Rei, which means universe, and Ki, which means life force. So <laughs> I can't think of anything more ritualistically spiritual than a- trying to access the universal life source. What are you even accessing when you reach out for that? Good question. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if this isn't, when you really don't understand that realm, right? like you just said, what are you reaching out for? Well, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get. It's like putting your hand in this goodie bag, <laughs> maybe hopefully Ooh. goodie bag. Yeah. I'm going to put my hand in the spirit world goodie bag and see what comes up. That hopefully something like a- good comes out. <laughs> right. Um, I, I don't know if you guys uh, follow Michael Knowles from the Daily Wire. I know we ragged on him pretty hard on one episode, but that's only because it's fun. Um, <laughs> it's, fun uh, he, it's fun to do. He did a really good interview with a former astrologist that explained uh, this connection with the mindfulness, the new age practices and how it leads down this dark rabbit hole. And I just want to share just a little bit of this woman's testimony. It might just be like a couple of minutes. I encourage you to check out the whole episode because it, it it's a good partner to this episode that we're doing tonight. Um, so here, take throat or something. And that was my cue that they, that needed extra attention. Do you think there's a um, physical natural explanation for that or no? My understanding is that it's 
supposed to just be the energy accessible to all of us. So we all, in a way, experience, if you're having creativity block, in a way I am too. So that's why I'm able to recognize it because we're all one mm. kind of mindset. And to answer your question in regard to does it work, it is a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It works until it doesn't. And mm. you need more. And you need more. And you need more. Um, it really, for me, would alleviate... It's like taking Tylenol. It would just alleviate the symptoms, but or not necessarily drug, right? fix like the problem. It's like taking heroin. Right? right, and I always say these things are spiritual narcotics because that's exactly what they are. You get addicted to it. You get addicted to the highs. You know, you leave a Reiki session. Wow, I feel great. I feel so refreshed. I'm cleansed. And then two weeks later, you have a mental breakdown, and you're like, well, I guess this chakra's still kind of clogged, or I didn't cut these cords from my past life sort of thing. There was always... An so, I mean, you guys can see where this is going, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not just sitting there and feeling better. It is a pathway to these, like, very ritualistic, very spiritual practices. And like she said, it's a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It doesn't actually fix the problem. Nope. Nope. It is like a drug. It gives you that high. Mm-hmm. For the moment, leaves you wanting more when you start coming down. <laughs> right. You need to get that high again. Yeah. And it just, uh, you know, might start with a, an innocent Reiki section, session or something along those lines or energy cleanse. And then you need more and you need more. And what else is there out there? And you just, it opens the floodgates to all of these potentially spiritually dangerous things that well on the flip side like there's a little bit of truth in all of this in that which we'll talk about more in a minute I know but uh, that's where they get you that's where they get you and that's what gets me is like there is a source there is a one power and we know that to be true we we believe that we worship him every day it's just like it's just that little bit that little tiny grain of truth in all this, but it leads people down this path. People who just don't understand right. that realm, that the depths of this and what kind of fire they're playing with here. So it's really dangerous fire and it's becoming more acknowledged to be spiritual. I feel like by the day, yeah. because at least in the eighties, they were kind of trying to hide it. Right. But now they, they're not hiding the ball anymore. Even our guy at the top, the founder, Kabat Zinn, uh, who invented the whole thing, who wanted to keep it separate, has jumped on the bandwagon too. I'm sure we're shocked by that. Gotcha. Shocked again. With fire, uh, you can no, hire not an ad. Fire. Why are there always ads? <laughs> I feel like that hasn't happened to us in a while. I know. It's been a minute. It has been a minute. Since we've Um, had this problem. But I'll I'll let the ad play out and we'll chat for a second. Yeah. But you guys will see here in a second. He's he's gone full kook. And not only has he gone full kook, uh, he's become, I mean, he was a political activist then. But political activism is so much worse now. Yes. Sorry. I can hear the ad. So that was oh, just sorry. Me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just dancing to it. Uh, 
Say that one more time. <laughs> uh, he's become a political activist. Yeah. Which is even worse now. Okay, here we go. Finally, we got it. <laughs> well, he was. He, he was, was before. And now right. it's, yes. In today's politics, it's even worse. Yeah. Own humanity. One of which is we're almost never here for it. Because we're so agenda-driven that we're always on the way to some better moment or pushing away what we don't like and completely off balance. And yet the only moment we're ever alive in is this one. The present moment is a hidden dimension unless we reclaim it and learn how to inhabit it. And that's what mindfulness is all about. And there are an infinite number of ways to do it. It's not like one size fits all or there's one right way and all the other ways are misinformed and wrong. On the other hand, there are an infinite number of wrong ways to cultivate it where it's really just more perseverating, more thinking. Isn't that a contradiction in what he just said? There's no wrong way to do it, except there are lots of wrong ways to do it. Yeah, I was like, did I hear that correctly? Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Or <laughs> proliferating of thoughts. And you can do an awful lot of thinking about mindfulness without cultivating mindfulness at all. It's just thinking. It is an art form. And a love affair in some way with, with life in, in ways that are very subtle and profoundly satisfying. Huh. That's a weird way to describe meditating, man. Right. And yet, it, my heart breaks for this because I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, yeah. but not from the same place. Not from the same perspective. And so I say my heart hurts because it's like, oh my goodness, you're so right, but it, from such the wrong perspective. Right. And you're leading people down this so this destructive path because when when it is all about yourself, that is that's not what this world is all about. That's not what this is. Yeah. And you're just hurting yourself in the end. And you're going to keep looking for something to fit in that hole that's just not going to be there. I don't know. That's it. I mean, it is truly sad because, like you said, on the one hand, the idea of sitting and being still and inviting God to be here in the moment with you, laying all your cares before him, taking it off you for just five minutes, whatever it is, is a is a practice that we are actually commanded to do in the Bible, right? Uh, this is how Christians meditated before. This is what Jesus himself often did. He went to pray and be with his father. Yeah. So it's not like there isn't good embedded in here. It's just they're trying so hard to do it without God. They're trying to fill that God-shaped hole in their heart with something else, something else spiritual, and it's not working because they're not filling it with the correct thing. Right. And like I said, it gets worse because they're trying to fit politics into it now. Right. I'm sure, yes. again, I'm sure you're shocked by this. Shocked. We don't see that <laughs> this day and age. Uh, All the outsmart, time, everywhere. <laughs> outsmart your cognitive biases via mindfulness. Yep. Oh How to goodness. fight racism through mindfulness. Hmm. <sighs> Can the practice of mindfulness reduce unconscious racial bias? Mindfulness for Health Equity Lab. Oh, this one gets me. R mindfulness for reproductive justice. 
Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Teaching <sighs> you how to meditate after your abortion, after you murder your child and sacrifice it to Moloch. Uh, so, yes, the four pillars of mindfulness to help you after this devastating life decision that, of course, leaves you empty and hollow and broken inside. But don't worry, you can be mindful about it and that will fix everything. Mm-hmm. You're. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on about how this practice has just been, like, manipulated and perverted in our society. There, There's, like, videos of trans activists, like, helping you connect with your feminine self or your masculine self if you're, like, the, the opposite right. of what whatever. Um, one, to help white people connect to what it felt like for black people during the Jim Crow South. Like, I mean, it's that's empathy. I'm sorry. Let's call that what it is. That's empathy. That's That's being a human being and understanding that awful things. Right. Just in general. I don't know what race has to do with it, except that's where we're at today, but just understanding the plight of people and how horrible it was historically. And today is called empathy and compassion and loving your neighbor but no let's call it mindfulness and make it make it trendy <sighs> make it trendy thank you yeah 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 i mean it's modern paganism when you boil it down it ranks us by hierarchy it ranks us up by victimhood and encourages us to draw on spiritual forces aka demons right <sighs> And I know we're kind of like reiterating the same points over and over, but it just makes me sad because there is hope, there is healing to be had out there, but they're trying to find it somewhere else. Right. Um, And I know those of you who listened last week are like, Jess, you said you were going to talk about gratitude. (laughs) It's not gratitude. I don't feel grateful for this episode at all. (laughs) Right. I had originally uh, titled the episode The Science of Gratitude, and I was going to look into the science of gratitude. But you know what I found when I Googled science of gratitude? Mindfulness. Mindfulness on every corner. Every meditative practice involved feeling grateful for something. And this is the thing. They over-scienceify it. Right. Because people are so freaking self-centered. I mean, modern Americans are the Toy Story meme of Andy dropping Woody and saying, I don't want to play with you anymore. Except we do it about everything. Right. We do it with our friendships, with our marriages, with our jobs. It's like everything. If it doesn't satisfy in the moment, we drop it. And so I get why a lot of these practices are asking us to like meditate and feel grateful and all of that. But... (laughs) thing that gets me every time uh the gratitude is inwardly focused so according to clinical psychologists when the brain feels gratitude the parts of the brain that are activated include the ventral and dorsal medial prefrontal 
prefrontal cortex. These areas are involved in feelings of reward, the reward when stress is removed, morality, interpersonal bonds, and positive social interactions, and the ability to understand what other people are thinking. Gratitude also has the capacity to increase important neurochemicals. We already disproved chemical imbalance theory, whatever. Thinking shift from negative to positive. There is a surge of feel-good chemicals. I didn't know chemicals could feel, but anyway, such as dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. These are all contribute to the feelings of closeness, closeness, connection, and happiness that come with gratitude. It's like, let me feel grateful so I can feel good. Right. Again, it's not that it's not true, but it's the perspective and the bias that it's coming from that right. makes it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the twofold process. First, we already proved chemical imbalance theory to be hot garbage. But chemical imbalance theory just over-scientifies the human condition. It makes us seem like we are nothing more than atoms hurtling through space to be recycled in this mindless empty system forever and ever and all eternity. But guys, we are so much more than that. We are human and soul. And when we fail to recognize our worth as children of God, and we see ourselves as nothing but atoms, who can blame a person for feeling hopeless, for making themselves the center of life? Because what else is there? What else is there? Exactly. I had a biology teacher teacher in high school who would say, on a good day, you all are beautiful human souls and I love you all so much. And you are just gorgeous individual human beings and blah, blah, blah. blah. And then she's like, but catch me on a bad day and you're just a bag of chemicals and I don't care. (laughs) I mean, hashtag relatable, but (laughs) the first one is always true. And the second one is always false. Just how we feel in the moment is how we think about the person. But truth is true. As someone once said, somebody, I don't know. I don't know who that would have been. I don't know. It must have been some Greek person or whatever. Absolutely. Some wise philosopher who took their gel that day. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is, is our worth. I actually had to have a long lecture about this with my students this week because we get stressed out about stupid things. But our worth comes from God. It doesn't come from your job doesn't come from your race, doesn't come from your gender, doesn't come from whatever thing you want X to be. It comes from God. And so to say, it's not like science and chemistry aren't important. I mean, I'm a chemistry teacher, I should know. But that's not all that we are. And by making my suffering, my happiness, gratitude, whatever, nothing but chemicals, we remove our human selves. And that's not who we're supposed to be. Absolutely. We're so much more than that. We're so much more than that. Exactly. So much more than that. And that's a very uh, uplifting feeling. Yeah. Because when you do think you're just a bunch of atoms hurtling through space, you're like, what is the point? And of course you're going to be depressed. And then to know that you are so much more, you belong to someone who is so much more than you could ever imagine. It really shifts your perspective and it does. puts that really positive spin on, on something that could be really <laughs> negative. It makes me feel grateful. Grateful. I, 
amazing. I feel grateful not because I want to feel good about myself because I felt grateful. Like, look at me. I feel so grateful. Go me. (laughs) Here's your grateful badge. Yeah, really. I feel grateful because I am small and insignificant. I am nothing but a vapor, but God loves me anyway. Yeah. God came to this earth as Jesus and died on the cross and rose again so I could be saved. I there's no grateful isn't even a big enough word to describe how I feel, how humbled I am in knowing that. And it's just Ah, I wish you could know this, guys. I wish you could feel this deep within your soul because this is a healing that is so much greater and so much grander than sitting there and going, oh, or whatever you're doing right now. Stop it. (laughs) Get Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. Just shift that focus, shift that that mindset. Um, Because, again, everything we've talked about I think is really helpful is part and, and, and what we've been told to do biblically for a very long time. That's have the con- thing. <laughs> yeah. Have control of your thoughts. Un- pray unceasingly, which to me is like a meditation. Meditate on the word. Um, have that moment, have that time with Christ, shut everything else off. Be present and in the moment, be anxious for nothing. Yeah. But all of that is coming from a perspective of not like inward. It's looking up. Right. And you do get that gratitude and that humility. You become humble, humbled by all of these things once you realize how insignificant you are. It's not sad. It's, uh, oh, my gosh, like you were just saying, I, I'm not worthy of any of this, but he loves me so much. I am worthy of, I am, to him, I am worth so much more than really what I am. Which is so amazing. I just, I like can't even put it into words. And for all of the people who feel this desperate loneliness, who are searching and grasping and clutching at straws, there is hope. You just gotta, you gotta find it in the right thing. It's not like mindfulness on the surface is a good thought. It's like, it's the thought that counts, right? It's like the thought is important. Right. But in practice, Practice. you have to actually center it on the correct thing. When you build your foundation on sand, it will weaken and crumble. But when you build it on the cornerstone, it will stand the test of time. And I know I sound like a preacher right now. I promise I'm not. Preach it. I I feel like I hear the words of my own pastor coming out of my mouth and it's kind of like creeping me out. Um, So, so let's, let's let Epicurus's words come out of my mouth instead. I I feel more comfortable with that. The, The Greeks obviously had a lot to say about gratefulness. Epicurus was an ancient Greek philosopher who founded the school a philosophy known as Epicureanism. Uh, and he had lots of great things to say about it. Uh, one of my favorite things is the fool's life is empty of gratitude and full of fears. Its course lies wholly towards the future. And I, I find this k- kind of humorous in many ways. Cause like, of course, if I am empty of gratitude, I, I will be worried about everything thinking people are always out to get me. And I, I look at, the political left and I see how they accuse everybody of wishing ill upon them. And it's like, it's because you're not grateful for anything you have Yeah, because you think everybody's out to get you. 
And we take every tomorrow for granted, always looking towards the future, never being satisfied with the now. Um, and that, that just really resonated with me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Stoic philosophers like Seneca also had a lot. Seneca had a lot to say about <laughs> gratitude uh, because, you know, the Stoics. Um, in his 81st letter to his friend uh, Lucilius, uh, he wrote under the heading on benefits. You complain that you have met with an ungrateful person. If this is your first experience of that sort, you should offer thanks either to your good luck or to your caution. In this case, however, caution can affect nothing but to make you ungenerous. For if you wish to avoid such a, such a danger, you will not confer benefits. And so that benefits may not be lost with another man. They will be lost to yourself. It is better, however, to get no return than to confer no benefits. Benefits. Even after a poor crop, one should sow again, for often losses due to continued barrenness of an unproductive soil have been made good by one year's fertility. In order to discover one grateful person, it is worthwhile to make trial of many ungrateful ones. I mean. Say it. Just say it. I love it. For those of you who are like, huh? Uh, basically, he's saying like. It's, it's good to be grateful for in and of itself. Just because people are kind of snotty to you doesn't mean you should be snotty in return. Better to be the person who is always grateful and always kind. And one day you will find the good fruit. One day you will find the person who is grateful to you in return and be blessed by that. But even if you're not, but better to be the person who always sowed. Still better for you. It's still yeah. better on you. Yeah. It is. Yes. And so even though we're not necessarily doing this to for ourselves, that's still a Christ-like movement, you mm -hmm. know, to be the bigger person, to be loving, compassionate, kind. It's less, it's always like less of me, more of you, God. Yes. And I feel like even with this with Seneca, it's like, it's less about me, and more about the attitude, the feelings, the you reap what you sow also. And so you might not even see it in your lifetime, all of the benefits of what you've done, what your kindness, compassion, and gratitude have done for you. But still a better life for you to have been that way. <laughs> it is still a better life. And I just... I was sitting here and just like reflecting. It's like with all of the things we have, why are we this way? Why are we so inwardly focused? Why are we not outwardly focused when we are such social creatures? And it just sort of like, duh, original sin, right? Everything is, comes back to original sin. But even in like that moment of the original sin, we can kind of see all of the pieces. For those of you who remember Genesis 3, the serpent says, well, did God really say... Right. Planting that little seed of doubt. And then even Adam asked themselves, well, did he really say, can I trust him? It's like, don't even matter that he created me. He created everything around me. I, th that wasn't enough. They, they wanted more. Yep. Eating the fruit to gain instead of being content with what God gave them, they kept reaching. And I, I think about this often. It's like, why would God put both trees in the garden of Eden and then say, don't eat of it. Right. It's, I, I don't see God as a tempter. That's right. not what he does. 
well, then that just means that it, he was going to let them eat of it just at the appropriate time when they were ready. It, it may seem childish to compare it to this, but think of a kid being too eager for dessert. It's right. not like the kid doesn't get dessert just at the appropriate time. And the kid's just reaching and grasping and saying, my time is good. Not when you say, but my time. And that's oh. what we do to God. All the time. I love that perspective. That's that's really good. I love well, that. You. Like, yeah. It's not there to tempt them because I've wrestled with that too. I love that. Like, it's just not ready for this yet. Yeah. It's not dessert time yet, kiddos. I like that a lot. I love that perspective. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But but I, that's how it feels, right? Yeah. And Satan's there like, no, why can't you have your dessert first? Yeah. Like, go for Take it. Take your cake and eat it too, guys. That's right. <laughs> uh, I love that. But... So, yeah, it, it all got, comes back to original sin. So what can we do as Christians to practice mindfulness? Because on the, like we already said, yeah. practice mindfulness, pract- practice gratefulness as Christians and not as people who are invoking demons or practicing new agey things. Um, perhaps we can do it without any of these buzzwords, but actually just like meditate on what God has. I, it's funny too, because we uh, did our Bible study this past Sunday and we were reading out of Genesis 24. And when I was looking for examples of meditation, the first thing that comes up is Isaac was going out into the field to meditate when yeah. he first saw Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, ah, Oh, shoot. God's so good, man. He's so good. Look at that timing. Every time. It's like the timing of all of our shows. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Meditation is used a lot throughout the Bible. Meditating on the word. Yes. So I think there is a verse that says meditate on the word like daily or something, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Ah, It's like just because it's trendy now and everybody's using it to their own advantage. It's like now we... God has had this, it's like he set this up for us to be beneficial for us, just not in the way that they want to make it today. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So true. Weird. So true. Yeah. So, I mean, we could go through all of it, but one verse I want to leave everybody with at least for me anyway, this is a verse actually our headmaster of school shared with us this week because he also talked about gratefulness in chapel this week. So love it. Amazing. Um, First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 17, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for us. For us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful, to be grateful in all circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, doesn't mean it's going to take away the pain right away, doesn't mean our circumstances are going to change, but to live in that joy is so much better than to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with things that don't satisfy. Yes. Amen to that. Amen to that. I want to share a verse too, but I just want to expand on that for a second because be grateful in all things, pray without ceasing. All this to me says that it is important to be in the present. Yeah. 
all of that that they're saying, which is so powerful with mindfulness being in the present. Well, God tells us to do that too, not only from a grateful place, but also from a trusting place. So Matthew 6, 25 through 34, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself." Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Mm. I love that. I love that. It's like he's. It's like he knew. It's like he knew. (laughs) It's like this has been the human condition for a very, very long time to be anxious and worrisome and to have all these problems. And God has been telling us for a very long time. I got it. I got it. Just keep focusing on me. I think of like Jesus and Peter on the water. He's like, this, look at me. Look at me. Come on, keep walking on the keep water walking. with me. It's kind of the same thing. Just all of these practices really can be used in a very beneficial, wonderful way when your eyes are turned to God, when your eyes are turned to Christ. And just so don't take that. Don't take the cross out of the center of your. That's right. Of your everything. <laughs> And that's kind of like with all things, like they say all things in moderation, all the things you do in your life, as long as Christ is at the center. Yes. And as long as you're not like breaking an outright commandment that Christ set for you. Right. Um, Oh, there's those two, I guess. There's those, right. It's like, (laughs) I'm going to go steal in the name of God. Yeah. No, that doesn't work. Um, Nice try. But like, if we make our jobs the center of our lives instead of Christ, right? If, if we make anything the center of our lives instead of Christ, it will always fall short. Yes. Uh, Sir Pierce the Veil over on YouTube gave us uh, Joshua 1.8, which I'll share too, because this is actually one I had thought of earlier. Uh, this book of law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou shalt mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And I know this was uh, God speaking to Joshua as Joshua was getting ready to lead the Israelites into the promised land, but we can still glean good meaning from that. I think there's still good good things for us to learn, listen to in that. If this is what God is commanding his great leader to do, perhaps we could learn to by example. Might be beneficial for us, us as well. <laughs> yes. So be grateful. Yeah. Be aware 
of how much uh, the Lord does for you. Yeah. As, as you meditate this Thanksgiving and reflect upon all of the wonderful things that have happened in your life, don't think about it just for yourself. Don't invoke demons. Just be grateful to God. That's yes. my message of the day. I like it. Yay. This was fun. Yay. This was fun. I like this one. And I, I said this to you earlier and I'm going to say it again. Like, I think it's really good to talk about these kind of new age things that I think do resonate with people because again, there's just this little bit of truth that you're, that you recognize like, Oh, that speaks, that speaks to my soul somehow. And it's like, yeah, yeah. They've just put a new twist and, and made it prettier and more palatable. For, right. for some, you know what I'm saying? I do. So I love that you came at this and tackled it and you're like, hold the phone. Don't, don't, don't tread those dark waters. <laughs> right. Heads up. Be aware of what you're, what you're getting into, what you're doing, yeah. what this is all about. So kudos to you for tackling that. <laughs> we, we really got to be careful because it's so sneaky it yeah. sneaks itself into every aspect of our lives. Like I said, they're practicing it, this sort of thing at every place I've ever worked. Um, yeah. I'm very fortunate, of course, to work in a Christian setting now. And so they do practice it with Christ at the center. But I know at the places that were not Christian where I worked, it felt yeah. very creepy. Uh, I'll just share like a tiny anecdote. When I was a kid, I did martial arts and one of the moms uh, hosted a yoga session and I went because, you know, I, I wanted to be nice, wanted to support the community. And, ooh, that was weird. There was lots of chanting. And it's like the stretching felt good and nice for the body. But that was my first encounter with that. And it was weird. Yeah. It made me feel uncomfortable. Then makes me feel uncomfortable now. And I just pray for people who are kind of blinded by that and don't really know any better because it's so tantalizing Absolutely. and so easy to fall into. Yeah. Agreed. Do but go ahead. Before we go today, we got some reviews to read. Ah, that's what I was going to say. Yes. Yay. You're ahead of it. Love it. Okay. This first one comes from, I don't know how I'm going to say this. J-E-H-S-S-Y-E. J-S-I. Okay, something like that. Epic. I know this is Ison from our Discord. Ison is awesome. Um, I also found them through Conspiracy Pill. Love them. It's not often I find people with the same beliefs I have on many topics. I love the research that they put in and listening to their fans and input. Truly an amazing podcast. Thank you so much, Ison. Thank you, Ison. Love it. I love that we've been able to get to know you better too through our Discord too. Yes. Oh, I love cool our Discord fun. community so much. It's a lot of fun. I love it. I do too. And if you're not a part of our Discord community, what are you doing with your life? Hop on over. Oh, I sun corrected me in the chat. It's Jesse. I thought so, but I was like, if I say it, then I'm gonna be wrong. <laughs> I thought so. Darn it. My bad. But we still appreciate it. Thank yes. you. <laughs> we love it. Thank you so much. And then Kelsey also left us a review. 
Let me pull it up. Sorry. Uh, love the podcast. Found this podcast through Conspiracy Pill, and I was so freaking stoked to have another biblically-based podcast to listen to. Jess and Elise do a fantastic job, and they have created an amazing community. One of the best parts is being able to tune in live, and it's just not the same listening to the recording afterwards. Definitely recommend checking out Quirks of Creation. If you love creation and love having your mind blown at how amazing God is. I love that. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Thanks, you guys. Uh, I love it. I know. It makes me so emotional because you guys are just so amazing and I love it. And like I said earlier, if you're not a part of our Discord community, the link is in the description below. I posted it in the Rumble chat. Please hop on over there. Join our community. We have the best community, the best mods, just like the best people all around. I love you guys. This was fun. Thank you for being here. This was fun. Uh, Next week, just before Thanksgiving, I'm going to, surprise, surprise, (laughs) talk about the history of Thanksgiving, but not so much the story that most of us know. I want us to talk more about that, a little bit more history. Should we celebrate Thanksgiving? What does it all boil down to? Is it going to be the 1619 Project Nicole Hannah-Jones take or the take you remember from the 90s? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you. You'll find Ooh. out. Now I'm excited, like Yay! I always am. So make sure you guys hop on over. If you're here live, stay tuned because we're going to Rumble for memes, chat, and good times. Stay quirky. We'll see you guys next.